Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Hey, shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amal, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana. How is everybody today? I hope your your day is off to a great start, and I hope your week is going well. If you're listening to this for the first time on Hebrew Nation, uh, then it is Wednesday, uh, what we affectionately call Hump Day, and uh, Shabbat is in our sights, and so I hope you are looking forward to that. But I hope it's been a really productive week. Uh, before we get too much into things, I want to just ask your uh, patience and uh, your forgiveness for my voice. Uh, no, it's not coronavirus. Um, it's called Living in South South Louisiana uh, in this January, February, March time frame. Uh, during the night times, the evening, uh, the, no, the night times, it's winter. Uh, and then by about noon uh, during the day, it's summer. And then uh, towards the evening, you know, before night, nighttime, it's like some kind of spring thing. I don't know. I know a lot of you across the country kind of experience that thing. Well, if you don't like the weather, just, you know, wait five minutes, it'll change. Um, and so, yeah, that's what's, that's what's happening. And so forgive me for, for sounding kind of wonky, but, uh, we're going to press on and we're going to, uh, we're going to have a great show today. So, um, I want to just remind everybody that, uh, you go to our website, outofashesministries.org, uh, and there you can, uh, you can watch our live stream on Shabbat every uh, Saturday morning at 10. Uh, 10 a.m. Central. Um, you can also check our archives there. Uh, the vast majority of our uh, episodes or our sermons, uh, IBR episodes are uploaded there. And so uh, it's a great place to go to kind of get everything that we that we have. Uh, but we're also on Facebook and on YouTube and uh, on MeWe. And uh, so, yeah, just, just check us out in all those various places. Uh, we also have a really convenient mobile app. Uh, if you go to either your Google Play Store or uh, your Apple Store, uh, then you can search for the Share Faith app, S-H-A-R-E-F-A-I-T-H. Uh, and uh, it's a container app. Once you download it, it's free. You can search Out of Ashes Ministries, and we will be there. So uh, again, I hope everybody is doing well. And uh, Purim is coming up. And so uh, if you celebrate Purim, uh, Purim, then uh, yeah, it'll be here in a couple weeks, the end of, of uh, February, and it's an exciting time. It's it's awesome. I love Purim, like I love Hanukkah. I know they're not you know quote unquote commanded feasts. They're not one of the seven major uh, Hagim, but uh, what an awesome time with your your family, your kids, your congregation uh, to just kind of re you know reevaluate. Um, you know who you are and and what you're doing as a community and uh, what Hashem is doing through you. And, uh, and a kind of our place that we're supposed to take in the world. 
uh, you know, being hidden away uh, and yet still working righteousness and, and turning the tide of, a, of an incredible, uh, you know, of a potentially uh, disastrous, you know, type of thing. It's just Purim this year, again, like Hanukkah this year was, is really fitting. It's interesting, you know, when these come around, how, how fitting they are to, to our everyday and to our today, uh, you know, situation. So uh, that's coming up. And then Passover is going to be here before you know it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it, it seems like it's maybe a couple of months off and it is, uh, but it's going to be here. It's going to seem like, feel like tomorrow that it's going to be here. So I encourage everyone to start getting ready for Passover. Uh, start reading through the, uh, the Seder. If you've never done a Seder before, uh, uh, there's a, some great ones online, free, uh, you know, seders online that you can get, and uh, just you know, do a little, maybe do a little more this year than you did last year. Prepare a little more, uh, and 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 make it a, a little bit fuller um, celebration this year uh, than you did last year. And every year we're to grow and to learn, and that's one of the great things about the feast days and Shabbat is that they come around every single year, and so we have an opportunity to grow uh, even more every year. So before we get into this week's episode, uh, let's go to the five. Father, in prayer and prepare our hearts today. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and our King, we love you and we bless you. We know that we've been born into this world for a special time and a season. And Father, we want to live our lives worthy of that calling and worthy of this destiny that you've given us. So we pray that you embed us with your word and with your wisdom as we live your image in our world. Right, guys. So, uh, guys and gals, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so, I want to continue on our discussion this week uh, from our discussion the last couple weeks in the book of Jeremiah, Yermiyahu, and um, just because I think it's it, again, it's really fitting for where we are, and or at least this is the lens that I see it through. Um, it, it's always interesting when there's kind of upheaval or, or we'll call it chaos because we've talked a lot about order and chaos in the podcast. And if you haven't heard those, um, you know, you can go back to earlier episodes where really we began in Genesis 1, in Bereshit 1, and talking about how the, uh, the, the, the world, the cosmos was tohu vavohu, uh, was wild and waste. Um, and, and that, of course, traditionally has been taught as uh, you know, nothingness, absolute nothingness. I heard some uh, scholar one time say that if you took nothing and put it in a blender, uh, that's the way to describe tohu vavohu. Well, the ancient Israelites uh, didn't have blenders, so I don't know that that's necessarily the context that they would have understood tohu vavohu. Um, but, uh, you know, another definition I heard is wild and waste. I, I like that. Um, traditionally, it's been taught creation is ex nihilo, right? Creation out of nothing. And uh, while I personally don't necessarily subscribe to that, um, I think of this description of tohu vavohu more as as chaoticness, uh, chaos. Uh, it, we have it in the same. Uh, we have this the same idea in a lot of the ancient Near Eastern writings, uh, and most of them don't mean nothingness. Uh, they mean a, a chaotic state, right? A, a chaotic. The world was in, in chaos. And we've thrown this idea of chaos and order around a lot, and I think it's kind of—I think it's important to define um, a little bit better wh- what we mean when we say order and chaos. 
So chaos is um, is is really a, in, a, in a lot of ways it's a it's a governmental or a political way of talking about the world. Um, so there's war, there's famine, there's um, you know there's all these all these things. There's violence. Uh, there's um, marginalizing of of people groups or of you know certain types of people, uh, and that's that's what that's what chaos looks like. It looks like suffering. It looks like oppression, uh, and all those all those things. And so when Hashem is creating uh, in Genesis one in that first creation account, um, it's not nece- it's not so political necessarily, but it is the organization of the cosmos, right? Or the the Israelite explanation of h- how we got the cosmos the way it is. And again, personally, I don't really subscribe to an ex nihilo view, um, but I think that there was stuff here, and and Hashem was organizing. Uh, that part of creating is organizing. Uh, we've talked about this before. You can go back and listen where we flesh this out more. But if you're creating a curriculum, um, you're not cutting down trees uh, and or you're not growing trees from a seed, cutting them down, milling them, turning them into paper. Uh, you know, you're not you're not creating ink from from scratch. Um, you're taking existing materials and and really uh, dividing them, separating them, which we see God doing a lot in Genesis one. You're separating him. You're naming things. You're categorizing. It's an administrative type type task, and um, and so that tends to be my view more than creation out of nothing. That can God create something out of nothing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, He can do whatever He wants, right? He's He's a Shem. He's Adonai Tzavaot. So um, He He can do that. But for me, it's more of a story of uh, the the creation of order out of chaos. And order is really important as it pertains to chaos because um, which type of order are you going to have? So kind of jumping back over to the political idea and the governmental idea of ordering chaos, um, each time a new king takes over, whether it's Israel or any, any ancient Near Eastern culture, and even today, really, if we think about it, um, anytime a new leader, a new king, a new president, a new governor, mayor, whatever you want to, you know, however you want to talk about that, takes over, it's generally this sense of um, there's a new king and there's going to be a new way we do things. So they're going to reorder because the the old king or the old administration or the old whatever, um, you know, they messed everything up. And so there's chaos in our country. And, and it seems like every time we get a new president, the president talks about how there's chaos from the last president. And there, you know, there's all this stuff that they didn't do right, and so we're going to reorder. We're going to, and so order is based on the one who is reigning, or is ruling, or who is in charge. Uh, and I know in America we don't have rulers, quote unquote, but you, you may want to differ with that opinion, and I would certainly allow you to do so. Uh, but there, we don't have rulers, and as far as like kings and a monarchy, um, again, maybe up for debate, <laughs> depending on which side of the political aisle you're, you're on and what your political views are. But that's not what this is about. This is about uh, the, the type of order that comes in is directly related to the personality and to the, the, the viewpoint of the, the king or the ruler. And so when Hashem, when God, the creator, right, Avinu Malkinu, our father and our king, is, is creating in Genesis 1, he is placing an order in creation that is based on his personality, that is based on his, uh, his character, on his wisdom, on his authority, on who he is as the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so uh, this idea of order and chaos is really important. And so when we talk about order and chaos, that's, that's kind of the, the frame of reference or the context that I have in my mind as we're, we're talking through some of these things. 
so we're in a we're in a time of chaos of course i mean the world is in chaos you know pretty much 24/7 365 um because we don't we're not unified we don't have a uh we don't have a messianic kingdom we don't you know we don't have a, a ruling uh, uh religious not religious but uh theocracy type body like there once was in Israel and all these different kinds of things so um I want to talk about kind of going back into Jeremiah 29, and I want to address um, I want to address a, a, a not a pushback, but a, a, a part of the conversation that I get often when we talk about um, what we're supposed to be doing during this this season. Um, as I've said before, whenever COVID hit in March, uh, we my question was immediately, okay, Father, what are we supposed to do with this? What is what are those that bear your image, that bear your name? What are we supposed to do with this? What are we supposed to learn? How are we supposed to react? What is our place in in this part? Because we're not just a part of humanity. We are the image bearers of Hashem. And we we as the body, we as the as as the you know, those that carry his name as believers, we have to remember that. We have to remember that simple point that we are not just a part of this mass of people of humanity. But Hashem has called us out and has, and has put his name on us, right, through Yeshua. And, and he has then given us the responsibility of bearing his image to the rest of humanity. This sounds an awful lot like Genesis 2, right? And it should, because in my opinion, this is the same story that's repeated over and over and over through Scripture. And we've talked about this ad nauseum in the last year or so. And so we, we, were, we were once a part of humanity, but we were called out and then we were elevated and we were given this banner, this name, um, the name above all names, right? Of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega to, to then turn around and represent his order to the rest of this world. So as COVID began to be a, a, you know, a big deal, that's our, that should be our filter. That should be our frame of reference. It, it should not be. And I know there's a lot of fear out there. And, and that fear is driven by the media and by politicians and by, by other just people who just, they live in fear already. This is just the new thing to be scared of, right? There's a lot of people in my life and your life, I'm sure, that their life is rooted in fear. Every decision they make is rooted in fear. And so this COVID thing is just the new, the new, um, the new decision maker. It's the new uh, rudder. It's the new thing that 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 guides their decisions, and it's and it's based out of fear. And so we are supposed to be above that fray. We're supposed to be the antithesis of that, in that we show the the world what courage and faith and hope and and shalom. Uh, all that looks like. We're supposed to show them uh, that's the, the fruit of the Spirit. We're supposed to show that in the face of this. And then with our political elections and all the things that have happened um, in you know, the last couple of months, again, the question should be, how are we as the image bearers of Hashem in America, how are we supposed to represent Hashem? How are we supposed to show His image in, in this situation? Um, and, and this is where this gets really sticky. Because some of us are more zealot-like in our approach, um, and we want, you know, we want, we want to go. We not necessarily that we want to enact divine violence. I don't mean that uh, those wackos that are way out on the edge should have no voice and should have no influence. But there are those of us that are more fight more fight. You know, uh, we want to get out there. We want our voices to be heard. We want, uh, we want to make sure that we're always pushing out information. We want to be in the fight. Um, and then there are some of us that are more maybe ascetic, kind of on the other opposite end of the spectrum, more ascetic in our, uh, the way we, we're thinking about what's going on in our culture today. 
and we want to just kind of escape from it all. And we want to kind of get away and set up our own little compound, our own little commune, and we want to be completely separated from the world. And we just want to live, we want to live for God. And I'm not, I'm not bashing each one of those things. I'm, there are good qualities and negative qualities, I think, to both approaches. Um, in the zealot, you, you, you can bleed on a lot of people that didn't cut you, or, or you can cut people that haven't bled on you, I guess, maybe is the other way to, the other way to say it. On the ascetic view, um, you become so detached that you, you, can't, you can't engage in culture anymore. Um, the positive to the zealots is that we, we should speak for what we believe. We should speak for truth and righteousness and judgment. Those are the foundations of Hashem's throne. Um, and so we should make sure that, that people around it, that we know, first of all, that we personally know, and that people around us know um, what is the standard, what is the, what is the line, where are the boundaries um, of what we believe and what order looks like, because that's what ultimately this is about. This is about bringing godly order uh, to this chaotic situ- these chaotic situations. So on the ascetic side, the positive is that we, we really just want to devote ourselves fully to God without being distracted by all of the stuff, all of the drama, all the social media and the mainstream media and the, all of this. All, we want to be just devoid of all of that, that stuff, and we want to just live a life, uh, Kedush Hashem, right? Holy unto unto God. So these things are both uh, valid and there's the spectrum kind of in the middle, you know, you, you fall somewhere in between. And so this is why I think that this 29th chapter of Jeremiah is so important and is so interesting uh, because I think we can gain a lot of understanding from this. And I want to kind of take this in a different, in a different place and, and help um, to further the conversation by, uh, by just talking about it a little bit more. So let's go to Jeremiah 29. 11, uh, 29. We're going to reread. Uh, see, I, Jeremiah 29, 11 has been my, was my life verse for so long, and I'm so used to saying it. Anytime I say Jeremiah 29, 11 just kind of naturally falls out of my mouth. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny how we do as human beings? Um, so Jeremiah 29, uh, the heading in, in my particular translation here, and I'm using uh, the last couple of weeks, I've been using the NIV Cultural Background Study Bible. Um, this is a, a, it's just an incredible uh, study tool. Uh, the, uh, the Tanakh portion, portion is done by John Walton, who I absolutely love. Uh, and so uh, the heading in this is a letter to the exiles, right? So this is just a refresher. Yermiahu is writing from Jerusalem. There have been uh, a lot of Israel that has been, a lot of the Jews have been exiled. And so Jeremiah uh, just had it out with Hananiah uh, in the last chapter, which is an awesome chapter. And then he sends a letter to the exiles. And in verse 4, he says, This is what Hashem, Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And then verse 5, Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters, increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to Hashem for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares Hashem. So what I'm not going to do is I don't want to address the prophecies and all the you know things that surrounded this uh, this last presidential 
election. Uh, I just part of it, I think, is above my pay grade. Part of it is that just it's I don't know that it's really fruitful um, at this point. Uh, it is what it is, and we have to live in the moment. And so, part of this message of Jeremiah twenty nine, uh, before we even get to the you know the the money verse that most of us you know twenty nine eleven. Um, is we have to deal with this idea of God saying, okay, you're, you're in the exile, which exile throughout the, the theme of the, of the scripture so far, exile is ultimate chaos. We talked about this, I think last week it was, or maybe a week before. But if you look in Torah, Hashem gives different um, consequences for encroaching on his Kedusha, on, on, on breaking his, his commandments and either breaking the sanctification or, or damaging the sanctification of the, the house, of the temple, the tabernacle rather, uh, or interrelationally, you know, if you, if you wrong your brother or your brother gets wrong, there's these different consequences. And there may be, you know, there may be famine, which is awful. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many of us listening to this have ever experienced famine. I, I haven't. I mean, I've been hungry, but not, you know, not where I, you couldn't get food. Uh, there's famine. There's drought. There's pestilence, right? There's all those things. Um, there's, there's, I mean, so far as the, the death of a generation, uh, which is pretty extreme. And yet, none of those things are as extreme as exile. Exile is the last, is, is the last and in my opinion, the most harsh or the harshest uh, consequence for desecrating Hashem's holiness and the land and, the, and His people. And so this is where these people are. They're in exile, and exile is equated to chaos. Uh, we talked about this last week again. I don't want to do too much review, but I think it's important for those that may just be catching for the first couple times. Um, the idea of the garden in, in Bereshit 2 is that there's a garden in Eden. So, so the garden is what we could kind of call the temple, tabernacle. Um, the garden Eden is kind of like the camp of Israel, if you're thinking in the desert, in the wilderness, where there's the Mishkan, the uh, tabernacle. Um, there's the camp of Israel, you know, would kind of be that, that part. And then outside of, of Eden is the wilderness. Uh, it's, it's where the wild things are. It's where there's no, no godly order or not the, not the priestly order that uh, God called Adam to set up, Avod Vashemar, uh, to serve and to, to guard. And so, you know, in Israel, we talked about this thing as well, where you have Jerusalem, then you have the land of Israel, and you have outside of the land of Israel. That kind of theme runs through the whole of Scripture. Um, and, and so this, this exile is, is into the wilderness, right? This is, this is into the wilderness. It's outside the camp. It's outside the land. Uh, and it's exile. And it's, it's a big deal. Um, and so these people are cast into, into, into exile, into chaos. And so, uh, like I said before, in chapter 28, you have Hananiah that comes and says, like, oh, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. The soothsaying prophet. Uh, and then Jeremiah comes and says, don't listen to that guy. I didn't know what he's talking about. And, um, and then he, he sends this letter from Hashem to the exiles. And the reason why I want to address this and I want to bring this part of the conversation up is because, I, I f- like I said, I get some feedback when we talk about these things. And I feel like some people are really... Uh, it, it messes with people as to um, my stance, you know, of course, as you, if you've heard me speak is, um, you know, let your voice be heard, uh, you know, of course, on, on major issues like abortion and those kinds of things. Um, we have to make our, our voices be heard in our, in our communities, in our, in our culture, in our political system. 
Um, we have to, to speak with our votes. Um, but again, I know some people say, well, you can't trust voting. I, I understand that. Um, but it's still our right and it's still our responsibility. And so we, we, we need to make we need to speak up. We need to make sure that that people understand uh, where our our line is. However, I'm very careful and trying to be very sensitive about being obnoxious with the truth, um, because that old saying that you you know what is it you you get more with you get more with honey than with with vinegar or something like that. <laughs> I can't remember, but you guys know what I'm talking about. You we all have been in places and put yourself in this position. We all have been in places where we've been outside of truth at one point in our lives. And, and what voices of truth did you hear? Did you hear the person that was screaming and ranting and raving and posting 25, 30 different articles on Facebook every day and, and kind of being obnoxious with the truth? Or did you hear the people that cared about you and your well-being and your soul and your spirit and how you were doing? And then slowly you, you come around to, to understanding truth and to, to being accepting of truth. And so it's not so much what we say as how we say it again. And so I want to jump back in the second segment and address this um, in the idea of elevating the mundane. All right, everyone. Hey, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. So last thing I said before we went to the break was I wanted to talk about this idea of Torah elevating the mundane. And the reason why I want to bring this up and kind of talk about this and have this conversation today is because I've heard from a lot of you. I've heard from a lot of folks just in our own congregation or just my own family and people around that I've talked to about, um, you know, taking the less aggressive approach. And, and it seems like if we're not out there speaking our mind and we're not out there, uh, you know, being really belligerent about what we believe um, politically, it seems like we're not engaging. And that's really the question, right? How, does, how do we as image bearers engage in, the, in, the, in our culture and in, in politics and government and all those different kinds of things? This has been a question for the ages. I mean, we've... The Jewish people have debated this. Christian people have debated this. How do we engage our culture? Um, and, and of course, we've seen some people do it really well, and we've seen some people do it really not so well. And so we want to be wise, and we want to use wisdom, and we want to make sure that our voices and our compassion and our mercy and our, our, uh, our truth that we're speaking is being heard and is not just falling on deaf ears. Um, you know, in a, in a political debate, I want to watch the. I want to watch two people debate that are actually going to talk to each other, and actually going to hear each other, and not be already thinking about an answer when the other person is talking, or thinking about what they're going to say when the other person is speaking. I want when I listen to religious debates, and I, I don't listen to much, but when I do, I want to hear two people who are listening to each other and addressing the issues, and addressing the heart, and addressing the intent. Um, I don't get involved in in long doctrinal or theological conversations on Facebook or texting um, because you can't see my face. You can't hear my inflection. You can't understand my heart. It's just stagnant, one-dimensional letters on a screen. 
And I don't like that. And so we want to, we want to engage our culture. We, we absolutely do. And we want to show the image of our God, the image of our, our Messiah to this world. We want to show the light and the order of Hashem to this world. How we do that is always my concern. Uh, and not my concern, but it's, it's where I want to focus on how we do that. The truth is the truth. There is one God. He is one, Shema, Israel, right? And, and there is one Messiah, and he is Yeshua, our Messiah, who gave his life, who was, uh, who was uh, crucified, who died, who was buried, and who raised again on the third day. And, and, there, and he gave us his spirit and his presence to enable us to live out the life that he lived, to continue the life he lived. The gospel of the kingdom doesn't change. How we convey it is really important. You don't get gas out of a gravity pump anymore, right? Um, there's a whole sophisticated computer system that gets gas from the tanks underground into your car. Um, now, the gas hasn't changed a whole lot since we use gravity, but the method has changed pretty significantly. So, Jeremiah 29, Hashem tells the people, you're in exile, and he, notice what he doesn't tell them for, for our purposes. He doesn't say, pick yourself leaders, or a leader, or I've given you a leader, and I want you to rise up, and I want you to fight. I want you to revolt. Even in the Exodus story, um, we, have, you know, we don't have Hashem saying, I want you to revolt against Pharaoh and his oppression. So for those who, who are looking at where we are in our culture right now as believers and saying, you know, we, need to be, we need to be more kind of zealot-like in our, in our approach, and we need to convince people, and we, you know, we, need, to, we need to show people. Um, yes, I agree. But again, how belligerent and how, um, how much are we going to turn people off with the hope of turning just a few, maybe one person on, right? So Hashem's instructions to the, the people in, in, in Babylonian captivity, it seems very mundane. So wait, you've sent us here into exile, or we, we've gotten here into exile. We're, we're being oppressed. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, all, all this stuff. And you want us to do what now? You want us to settle down, build houses, you want us to settle in and just, and, and it sounds like he's telling them just do life, do life. I know you're out, you're out of your land, you're out of your home, uh, you're away from, from Ben Amigdash, you're, you're, you're in a different place, you're away from the quote unquote, the presence of God, right? Um, I just want you to do life. I want you to do life. And, and for, for some of us, for a lot of us, that doesn't compute, um, because in, in our traditional religious, you know, uh, upbringings, many people, and I'm, I can't make blanket statements here because I know there's a lot of variation here. So if you've never been raised or you've never heard this, then, then don't go, well, that's not true. It's just not your experience. And that's okay. Um, some of your experiences are not, are not my experiences. And that's okay, too. That's good, actually. Um, but we, you know, some of us were taught about, you know, fighting for what we believe. And, and, and America, just as a whole, we're, we're, we're a rebellious nation. That's just who we are. Um, you know, I often say that it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the kingdom of God and the king because our very DNA as Americans is built on, um, on fighting and defeating a king and a kingdom, right? So we can have autonomy. And so we're, we're a rebellious lot as it is. Um, and it, it's hard. We want to fight. The American spirit is to fight, is to claw our way to the top. 
and then to fight to stay there. That's our, that's our, and that bleeds into the, into our doctrine and our theology. And we start to think that they're the same thing. Oh, well, that's what Yeshua taught, obviously. Well, that's what Jesus taught. Oh, not, not really, <laughs> not really at all. So we have to begin to kind of separate what are American ideals, which are, are great. I'm not, you know, I'm not slamming America. Um, but we have to separate a little bit what are political ideals and American ideals and what is biblical. And I know that's a controversial statement, but I said it, so it is what it is. But Jeremiah tells the people, look, you're in chaos, you're, you're out in the wilderness, you're in exile, I want you to do life. I want you to plant gardens, and I want you to eat their fruit, I want you to marry, and, and, and I want you to be fruitful and multiply, which we've heard several times already, so go back and check those connections and see if, if there's any congruency there, right? And so I want you to just do life, do life. And again, for some of us that are more kind of militant with our faith and militant with the truth, that sounds really passive and like, well, yeah, but how are people going to know? How are we, how are we ever going to, um, how are we going to change things if we, if we're not out there pushing and talking and, and, you know, and screaming and posting and, and spamming and all this kind of stuff. How are we going to know? And God's message through Jeremiah was live life, the mundane things. There's a, an idea in Judaism, and, I, and this is why I want to kind of bring all this together. There's an, there's an idea in Judaism um, that the, the Torah, one of the reasons for the Torah being given is to elevate the mundane of life. And if you think about this, as you read through Torah, as you study the mitzvot, as you, you study Torah, you notice that Torah touches almost every area of life. I mean, it touches from when you go to the when you wake up in the morning, when you go to the bathroom, what you eat, how you raise your children, how you, how you do commerce and business, uh, your religious practices, um, you know, it, 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 it talks about and touches most areas of life. Why is that? Well, according to this, this Jewish idea, it's one of the reasons Torah was given again was to elevate, was to elevate the mundane parts of life as worship to Hashem. There's a great quote um, on a, uh, there's a, a website called Torah.org. Many of you might be familiar with it. And um, this is an article, uh, I believe, uh, by Rabbi uh, Yisakar Fran. And uh, Rav Fran opens the article like this. And uh, I'll try to link to this in the description so you can read the whole thing if you'd like. But he says this, he says, the Torah tells us that the women donated their mirrors to the Mishkan, the building fund, right? And the mirrors were used to make the base of the kior, which is the laver, the brazen laver. Um, Rashi quotes Hazal that initially Moshe was hesitant to take this donation because he felt that the mirrors were a tool of the Yetzirah, the evil inclination. We'll talk about that in a second. Rashi uses a very strong expression. Not only did Moshe Rabbeinu reject these mirrors, he was repelled by them. How can the mirrors, which were made for sensual purposes be used for a spiritual purpose in the Mishkan. But the Almighty overrode Moshe's objections, also using a very strong expression in instructing him, accept them, for they are more precious to me than any other donation. So let's stop right there and kind of unpack that a little bit. Of course, this is Rashi quoting Chazal, this is oral tradition, this is Midrash and, and, and all these things. So the, the point is not believing that there's this conversation that, that Moshe had with Hashem. The, the idea, the Musar of it is these are, these are not only objects that were used for sensual purposes, and we'll read another section real quick, but these are just ordinary things. They're mirrors. 
right? They're ordinary things that you have laying around the house every day. They're ordinary things that you, you wouldn't think of, and yet they were used to make the kior, the, the laver where the priest washed. I mean, think about the, the way that you elevate just a simple mirror, a brass mirror to that level of Kedusha, something that's actually used in, in the Mishkan. Uh, Rashi, it goes on, Rashi explains that in Mitzrayim, the men did not want to engage in the act of procreation because they felt they were in a feudal situation, right? And, and uh, where it was not going to be worth bringing Jewish children into the world. So can you imagine that? I mean, that, that's very human. That's, that, that makes sense. We're in bondage. We've been in bondage all these hundreds of years. Why bring more children into the world? We're, we're in bondage and there's no, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And so why bring children into this? I've had this conversation. You might even have had this conversation with friends or younger relatives that you may have had. And, and younger people by the droves are saying like, why would I want to bring kids into this world? Why, why would I want to do that? I mean, it's a, whole, it's a great whole other conversation. Um, it goes on to say, the women were, were not so pessimistic. They used their mirrors to beautify themselves and went out to the field and enticed their husbands. As a result, the Jewish population continued to increase. increase. By virtue of the fact that these mirrors were used for such a positive purpose, purpose, the Almighty told Moshe that he considered them to be the dearest donation of the entire Mishkan fundraising effort. So just one like, small quote I found really interesting. And this idea of taking something really mundane and elevating it for use in the, in the Mishkan. There's, uh, as, we're, as, as Israel is commanded in Torah, they are to redeem the firstborn, right? They're to redeem the firstborn. Now, what is the purpose of the firstborn as given um, when they come out? The firstborn were to be what? A kingdom of priests, right? And when the sin of the golden calf happened and the tribe of Levi took on the role of priesthood, then God gave another command that every firstborn that breaches the womb is to be redeemed, right? So the idea is that they, they, are, uh, they are given this, this kedusha, this holy responsibility of being a priesthood. And yet when they come out, because they're not, no longer qualified to be the priesthood, when they come out, they still have that holiness. And so they have to be redeemed in order to be able to engage in ordinary life. So that that responsibility and that kedusha of priesthood is not on them. They have to be redeemed. So think about this idea of that there's this, this really holy spiritual call, and yet these, these firstborn are being brought down kind of to mundaneness, if, you wanna, if we think about it like that. This also parallels in, in the Torah where we, we have the, the passage where it talks about where is the Torah, right? It's not across the sea that somebody has to go fetch it for us. It's not up in heaven where somebody has to go get it for us. But the Torah is here. So this idea that the, the Torah comes from heaven and is given into the earth. And so it's not that the Torah loses its holiness. It's not that the firstborn lose their holiness in, in that sense. It's that it, it intersects with real life. You know, as a pastor, and I've been in ministry for a lot, a lot of years, um, and as the priest in the temple, you don't, you, you live, um, you live a different type of life. You don't, you know, you maybe your vocation is not the same. I know there's a lot of bivocational pastors, so that's not a blanket statement, but in a sense, your vocation is maybe different if you're a full-time pastor or ministry, you know, something like that. Um, and you're 
kind of detached from the world in a sense. And so we don't experience the mundaneness of life maybe sometimes, like, like everyone else does. And I think I said this last week or week before again, one of the, one of the most, uh, one of the toughest things that I was told as a kid is that you were born to change the world. You were born to change the world. Be a world changer. I mean, there were songs written about it. There were conferences and camps with that theme that, you know, we're, we're world changers. And while I, I understand and I appreciate the, the, the zeal and the fervor, it has caused in a lot of our generation, my generation's life, it's caused a real issue because what we've done is we've looked to change the world and we've looked to be loud and proud and zealous about the truth. And yet we've forgotten what's right in front of us. We, we've forgotten our families, our kids. We've forgotten our coworkers. We've forgotten the people at the grocery store, our neighbors, the people that live you know, beside us or across the street. We've forgotten the teachers that teach our kids and the, the coaches that coach them. Um, we, we've forgotten all that because we want to be world changers. And that means something bigger. That means something different. And yet Hashem tells the Israelites in exile, no, I want you to build houses, move into neighborhoods, get to know your neighbors. These mundane things, we have to start thinking about them differently. We have to start thinking about the mundaneness of life as highly spiritual. And yes, it is very spiritual and it is appropriate to spend hours a day in prayer and in study and, and handwriting scripture, if you want, memorizing scripture, um, you know, study, study groups, all those things. That is, but we tend to think about that as more spiritual than going to the grocery store. We tend to think about that as, as more of heaven's call. And we're closer to God when we're doing those things than when we're out mowing the lawn, talking to our neighbor across the hedges. We, we tend to think about engaging in deep scripture study as more spiritual than the meeting with our, our kid's teacher twice a year, or however, every six weeks or nine weeks, however often that happens for you. You see what I'm saying? We, we tend to think of one thing or one set of activities as more spiritual than what we consider life. And we, we divide those things and we draw a line there where one, like I said, one thing is spiritual and one thing is carnal. And, and I believe that's, a, that's very toxic to the message of Jeremiah 29, 11, the message of scripture altogether. Live life. That is your, that is your, you're to be a living sacrifice, right? Living, living life and showing the image of God and the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom through the way you live your life. And so what I want to challenge us to do, and, so, and this is what I've been really challenged by is I want us to see doing those mundane things, cleaning the house, vacuuming the floors, you know, mowing the lawn, taking care of our home. I want us to see that as, as spiritual as davening for two or three hours or praying for two or three hours. I want us to see meeting with the PTO or, or talking to the butcher in the, in the meat department of your store or, uh, you know, whatever it might be, talking to the lady who takes your bill at the water department or city hall or, you know, whatever to see those encounters and those activities as, as spiritual as anything that we think of as quote unquote, holy or closer to God. Because in those areas of life, that's where we express the things that we encounter in the secret place. 
if we if all we experience is the secret place, but we never go out and rub up against people and bump bump people and 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 live life with people, then all we have is the stuff that is just then we're fat spiritually, we're obese spiritually, and we're not affecting anything except our own kedusha, which is great. But Yeshua said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. We do pretty well at that. But love your neighbor as yourself, we do a little less well at that. And so based on this this passage from Jeremiah 29, I want to encourage us to focus on the mundane things. Because we may, again, we may feel like, well, I'm just going to turn some worship music on. I'm just going to worship for a couple of hours. And I'm I'm going to get close to God that way. You can be just as close to God and you are just as close to God when you're, when you're sitting at your desk and that coworker in the next cubicle or the next desk, the next office over, and you, and you walk over and you have a conversation, that, is, that can be just as spiritual and you, and you two together can be just as close to God as whenever you're honed in on a word study or a passage or a Parsha study. And these mundane things may in fact very well be the, very well be the place that God is. Emmanuel. This may not be a big deal for some of you and for others of you, you may really struggle with this idea. You may, again, kind of going back, you may be more ascetic in just your whole temperament and your makeup. You may be a person that really doesn't like to engage. And I understand understand that. I'm not saying force yourself to do stuff that, you know, just gives you the, gives you anxiety. Um, What I'm saying is that there, we have to start seeing the world differently. We have to start seeing the world differently. We tend to live life with a really heavenly view, with a really out there type of view. And I think we, we carry a lot of the kind of the rapture theology with us that, well, one day we'll be out of this place and we'll be up there. We'll be out there. So there's really no value to this place. Um, especially, you know, if you're more of a Calvinist view um, or have, have been raised in more of a Calvinist view, um, th- this, this place there's not a lot of things to be hopeful for here because kind of God's already decided and it is what it is. And, um, and so you're just waiting for heaven. Like it can seem really trivial. And yet I want us to rethink about how we approach everyday life. The idea of carnality and this world being just the carnal world and the spiritual world being the real, the real good stuff, the real, that's reality. Heaven is reality and the spirit world is reality. And this is just some mangled, messy thing because of original sin and all that stuff. It is, it is absolutely, absolutely so important that we change the way we think about that. Is there sin in the world? Of course there is. Is heaven true spiritual reality? Of course it is. But we have, we have separated those two to, to the point where we've been so spiritually minded or so heavenly minded, we've been absolutely no earthly good. And I'm talking especially to those of us in the Torah community, in the, in the Hebrew roots, Messianic community. We've become so, so Torah-centric and so word-focused, which is great because a lot of us didn't have that in our upbringing. We need to have that. But we need to learn how to carry it into our world and to communicate it. And we need to learn how to, how to live through the mundaneness of life, expressing the beautiful things of our Messiah and the Torah that he taught. A little goofy kind of uh, story. Uh, when I was younger, I was, I was serving a, a, um, an evangelist, and I was, he was training me and uh, mentoring me. This is before I found Torah, and uh, he was a wonderful, wonderful man. And uh, I was cleaning his house one day, 
and I was changing the trash. I pulled out the old trash bag, got a box, you know, got the box of new trash bags. I pulled out the last trash bag in that box, put it in the, in the trash can and threw the box in. And it was right then. The Spirit of God spoke and he said, just really, and it's so, it sounds so, sounded so dumb at the moment. But he said, for a time, the box holds the bags, the trash bags. But there comes a time when the bag holds the box. You might think, well, that's really dumb. I thought so too. But the more I've lived life, the more I've realized that there's so much to that, that just simple, simple thing. That simple thing that there's a time and season for everything. And just because something is the way it is today doesn't mean it's not going to be the way it is tomorrow. There are seasons of function. There's a, there's a time that that box is really important for holding your trash bags. Right? They end up all over the bottom of the cabinet. You got a mess. But there's also a time where the, the bag has to hold the box so that it can be cleaned out of the house. And there's a, there's a season of function for everything, including us. And so, again, this is a, it's a dumb little story, but something I want to leave you with because I want to encourage you to find, find God in the mundane, Find God in the everyday things. Find Hashem, find the Torah, find the words of Messiah and the wisdom and the spirit of Messiah in the everyday things. The Torah was given in part to elevate those things. The women brought mirrors and they ended up being the the kior. What do we have that we think is mundane? What are the parts of our lives that we think are uninteresting or just stuff we quote unquote have to do? Um, and you know, we wish maybe we could be doing something else. We could be doing something more impactful. No. The things that God has set for you to do where you are, they are, they are your piece of the kingdom building. They are your piece of the gospel, building the gospel of the kingdom. So wherever you are and whatever mundaneness you're doing, see it as exactly that. Elevated to worship. Elevated to building the gospel of the kingdom. Until next week, shalom, shalom. Shalom. 